I think we got this, Arash. All right, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> Third time's a charm, hopefully. All yes. right, <laughs> Arash Markazi. Thank you again for chiming in for the third time, trying to get this podcast. Yes, in these times, in these strange times that we are uh-huh. now doing interviews over a podcast link and all this technology. But um, Arash Markazi, thank you so much again. Let me just give you, um, before anything, let my listeners know who you are. I'm going to just let give your give them your spiel. It's You are a sports columnist for the Los Angeles Times, having formerly worked as a senior writer at ESPN for nine years and a staff writer and a columnist at Sports Illustrated for five years. You're also on CBS too, doing a Sunday columns weekly segment with Jim Hill and Beto Duran about USC football. I mean, is there anything you don't do? Wow. <laughs> I try to stay busy. It's so much fun though. You know, I grew up in Los Angeles, so getting to be on, to get to write a column in the Los Angeles Times, to get to be on you know, KCBS too, and all these uh, really great outlets is such a dream for me. I mean, just even reading off all of those, that's, you know, those are dream jobs for so many people, but for you to be able to work all of them, that's incredible, Arash. By the way, welcome to the 40 Club. Happy belated birthday. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And you did it all before you were 40 years old. (laughs) You know what? The cool thing was, and and you were like at my party. I mean, it was the last kind of get together before this new normal of ours. And I'm so glad that at least I got to see all my friends and family before we were all quarantined because we had that party that weekend. And then, you know, that kind of Tuesday, Wednesday, like everything totally changed here. I know, right? I remember I was standing there and it was packed in that bar restaurant and I had my little hand sanitizer because I'm like, oh, I know about this coronavirus, but it wasn't as big as it was. 40 years old, you are so accomplished. And, you know, I said this to a lot of people when I knew that I was going to be interviewing you. Some people knew who you were. Some people didn't know who you were for how I know you. So what I mean is that people who watch sports, they know who you are. They've seen you, they've heard you, they've read your stuff. But people who don't watch sports, they still know you. Why? It's because they saw you recently for the tragic passing of Kobe Bryant. That's how some people knew you. They're like, I don't know him. I didn't even know he covered all those other sports. But I remember seeing him because of his interview with Kobe Bryant, which we're going to get into later. So that's what I find that you have reached masses in different ways with your writing and just uh, you're interviewing and people recognize you. There's, you have such a great story, Arash. You have what, you know, reading about you. So when we, when you first told me who you were when we were in New York, you know, some of the, uh, the accomplishments that you've gone through, some of the adversities you've had. And then I, I couldn't believe it. I didn't believe it. I just, you know, I looked at you and I was just like, no. But, you know, you're just this kid that actually getting into sports what happened? I Weren't you supposed to be like some kind of a uh, basketball player that you want to be like Magic Johnson? <laughs> what happened to that dream? <laughs> well, you know, I, I think, you know, when you're younger, you don't know about genetics and height and everything <laughs> else. And so I wanted to be the next Magic Johnson. I wanted to be the next six foot nine point guard of the uh, Lakers, you know, but like my dad's five foot and my mom's like four ten. And so that wasn't going to happen. I was going to not be a six foot nine point guard of Lakers, but I, <laughs> I still love basketball and I still love to write about the game. And so I I think it was like grade school, but certainly when I got to high school, I I began to have this dream of being a sports reporter, sports columnist, commentator, and really to kind of see that dream come to life at this point in my life where, you know, as a kid at that point in time, 
growing up in Los Angeles, I mean, the dream was to work for the Los Angeles Times. And so, again, I, I work for two of the two amazing companies way there. But when people wonder, you know, why would you leave um, ESPN? And I get it. You know, when you leave a company as as big as um, ESPN and I was on SportsCenter and I was on ESPN.com and everything. But I think if you didn't grow up in Los Angeles and you didn't cut out columns in the Los Angeles Times and tape them to your wall like I did, then maybe the significance of that's lost on you. But for me, as soon as that job offer came, it was something like it's not that often you get a chance to kind of like accomplish your dream. And so once I had that chance to do that, I uh, jumped at that chance. At what age? I, I think I read that at 12 years old. That's when you realized you wanted you're were, you're were reading the newspaper at 12 years old. Is that right? Yeah. So it was a 92 and I was just a kind of a big nerd, you know, and I just loved the newspaper and I would get the newspaper. Me too. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so at that, at that age, you know, I, I began to realize that, like, listen, statistically speaking and everything, I'm, got, <laughs> I'm not going to be much taller than five, five or five, six or whatever. And so, you know. As much as I, I continue to play basketball and I still do, like, you know, with my friends, like I, that wasn't going to be a collegiate or pro career. So, you know, began to kind of make that transition in grade school and then again, certainly in high school to being a sports reporter and working at the school paper. How, how tall are you? Five, six, five, five? Something like that. Yeah. You know, it's funny, like when you're when you're short, you don't really I'm just short. So, yeah, I'm five, six, five, seven at the tallest probably that's not bad i mean i did you have, at one point since your parents are they are shorter were you afraid that you were going to be really short like five two maybe yeah i mean i yeah definitely. <laughs> so but you know i was glad you know i'm short but i could have been shorter <laughs> so i am glad that i that i uh, am taller than them but i knew that the dream of like being a point guard or being a five you know it was funny because like as a kid i was like man it'd be cool to be like five nine i, I never got to five nine but but that would have been like a really cool <laughs> to at least get that tall Oh, that's funny. Did you always have that thing on the door to see how tall if you're a girl? Yeah. Um, well, I posted this picture of me because I had that and it was a Magic Johnson on my um, Instagram for like my birthday. Yes. It was me and Magic and I'm like right at his crotch or something. Like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm very short. And you knew like there was no chance I was going to get up to six foot nine or even six feet. Oh, that's amazing. Well, you know what? I'm five four. No one ever realizes that until I take my shoes off because I'm always in yeah, right? six inch heels. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah, we get short, I get short people love, man. I'm in the short group, so don't worry. All right, that's but fine. <laughs> you, so you did, I mean, you grew up in Los Angeles and you attended some, I mean, impeccable schools in you in, in the country, Walter Cronkite School of Journalism at Arizona State University. Just the word, just the name Walter Cronkite. Just that's when I, I'm like, wow, he really was very serious about being a journalist because you don't just go to that kind of school. And then you moved on to USC, Anberg School of Communication and Journalism. Man, well, that was <laughs> what was of, your GPA? You know, I wanted to leave home and a lot of the best journalism schools were at locations that, quite frankly, I just didn't want to go to. I didn't want to go to Northwestern. I didn't want to go to Missouri. And so like, I kept looking... Now, USC was closer, but at the time, like, I, I didn't want to just stay home. So uh, the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism in Tempe, 
I heard it was a great party school. It was like on the Playboy list of like <laughs> 10 party schools. It was a great party school. <laughs> and they had Walter Cronkite there, which I actually did get to meet Walter and get to take a picture with him. So that was really cool. But then I was there for a year and I realized like I was like freelancing for like the Los Angeles Times back then. I was like helping out with the Associated Press and I was doing all this stuff. And then I get to Phoenix and I'm just not as productive. So I, I, I had a great year there. I had a great freshman year there. For you to even have those options and you to be able to go to school and do what you love and study what you love, that's, you know, it gives, a, it gives people hope because people just don't think that they can do it. But, you know, you did face adversity when I read your story. You know, when you first told me that you were diagnosed with cancer at a very young age, 21, uh, wait, how old were you when you were diagnosed? I had it when I was 21 and then again when I was 25. 25. So yeah. I saw that in the year 2000, you wrote a story. Who was it for on that basketball player who had Hodgkin's lymphoma? Was that what paper yeah, was that so, for? Yeah, so that was at the uh, Arizona uh, State. Uh, that was at the school paper, the uh, school paper there. And, and, and I had no idea what non-Hodgkin's lymphoma was and Hodgkin's disease was. And so I had to research it before I talked to him and talked to his parents about that. And so it was kind of surreal to that same type of cancer a few months later uh, when I was back in Los Angeles. So um, how did you know you, you had know, it? What, what symptoms were you feeling? What symptoms were you feeling? And oh, yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah. What made you go to the doctor? Yeah, it was night sweats and chest pains. And when I say night sweats, I mean, it wasn't like a normal sweat. It was just like my entire shirt. And and pillow were like drenched and then just severe sort of chest pains too. And so when that started to persist, I was like, yeah, obviously there's probably something wrong with me. I don't know exactly what. And then I had to do like an x-ray and they couldn't really see anything. And then it wasn't until I did like a PET scan and a CT scan and did blood work and a biopsy. And then they finally found out that it was a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I mean, it's so ironic that you were just doing a story on that on a basketball player, yeah. not about his successes, but it's about his life. And then a year later, it, it, I, I mean, I'm I'm familiar with some cancers because cancer runs in my family. My parents died of cancers. Does it run in your family? D- did anyone in your family have non-Hodgkin's or no? Did it was you even that think a- that you had cancer at one point? No, I didn't, you know, because you never, you know, I'm not normally the type that thinks like the worst. And so I just thought it was, I don't know, I I thought it was something, you know, probably wrong, but I didn't think that. And so, you know, from for me, I thought, you know, can you give me some kind of like antibiotic? Is there some kind of medicine? And then when they told me what it was and the treatment that I had to go through, which was you know, chemo and radiation, which is like, just totally like drains you of everything. And I was a student at USC at that time. It was just so tough. And so it doesn't run in the family. And it wasn't something that I was really prepared for because I didn't, you know, but Justin, the player that I did the feature on, we kept in touch. And so he gave me some, some uh, help. And I kind of leaned on him in terms of how he got through it. Cause it's tough, you know, when you're 21 years old. Yeah. And you're going through that. It's just so tough because you go into the cancer hospital and everyone thinks you're there to see a grandparent or someone. And it's like, no, I'm here to check in to get treatment. And it's like, oh, shoot, you know, so. 
at that age of 21, you're still in school. You're, you know, you don't, you didn't think that you would ever get it at this age. How did you, how did you do it through school? I mean, how long were you in the hospital for? And when they said you were cancer free, did that mean that every cancer cell was dead, gone? Yeah. And so so, uh, you would go in during the day and get treatment for like basically like nine to five type thing. And then you would go home. So I never stayed there the first time I had it. You know, it was one of those things like when I had it, like I obviously I didn't go to school that day, but it was hard to to do to be a student and to go through that treatment because it's, it just is it's not a full time job, but it, it it really does like occupy a lot of your time. And so um, it was it was hard to stay focused. It wasn't a good semester for me. And so I did the best I could, but it was really one of those semesters. Like I was like, I probably should have just not gone to school, but then you don't want to take a semester like off. So, but yeah, it was just, it was just tough because then like anytime, like I I would go in, I would check it in the morning, you know, like my parents would be there or they, they would take turns and like people would come to see me. But thankfully I was able to go home at night, which wasn't the case the second time that I had it. But yeah. It was it was definitely tough. The before we get to the second time, you I mean, obviously, after you came back as a cancer survivor for the first time, you your career pretty much took off. I mean, you graduated at USC 2004 and in 2005, you wrote for Sports Illustrated on campus, appearing on the cover. <laughs> what were you appearing as? I mean, the only time I ever see sports, but usually Sports Illustrated is bikini. Uh, right. <laughs> I mean, I'll see like I'll see athletes, but what were you doing on the? Well, cover? so they had this March Madness road trip, and they basically cast me as the driver of the car. So I'm like driving the car with like my hair slicked back, and I got like this Hawaiian shirt on. And so uh, they had this like Cadillac <laughs> convertible, and so I'm driving the car on the cover of the magazine, which is really cool experience. So I was glad I got to do that and uh, moved to New York at that point in my life, which is something that I always wanted to do. Like I, I got a nice apartment on 49th and 9th, which is like Midtown or like in Hell's Kitchen area. And just was really kind of like yeah. living my dream. It was just so much fun. I, I had kind of like my dream job and a great city and just really enjoying myself. I mean, you wrote, you're such an accomplished writer, a published writer. You wrote for Slam Magazine, Double XL. What's Double XL? Like, like I mean, <laughs> I'm thinking something else. I don't know. That's, that would be a triple XL. No, it's okay. Uh, Double <laughs> XL is like a hip hop magazine. So anything, you know, that you would think of in the uh, hip hop world, whether it's Jay-Z, Kanye, uh, uh, Tupac, Notorious B.I.G. back in the day. So that's what that is. Did you write specifically only for sports or did you write other like music? Mainly sports, but I write about some hip hop as well. I mean, I know you could, I know you can rap and I know you can sing, (laughs) Uh, but then you have King Magazine, Vibe. I know Vibe. I used to write for Electro that was owned by Vibe. It was an electronic magazine. Playboy. What were you doing in Playboy, so huh? Playboy. What, um, what we go over there for the articles, exactly <laughs> had great, great stories, great articles. My former professor, one of uh, my mentors, was the managing uh, editor at Playboy. Kind of like worked with Hugh Hefner, and so he actually let me do a top ten party school story, uh, which was like a lot of fun. So that was a great experience. What was the top three uh, party schools at that time? When I'm trying you to remember off the top of my head, I know. We- that was such a fun time to go to Madison. 
Wisconsin. No, Wisconsin. So Oh, Wisconsin. Yeah, Wisconsin. And then somewhere up there was either like UC Santa Barbara and like University of Texas. But that, yeah, it was definitely a fun time. A fun time. Yeah. Well, too bad LA doesn't have any. They come here for the real. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, they'll just go to San Diego. You know, I only know you for for what you are. And then actually when I started reading about you, I'm like, holy shit. A rush. <laughs> Holy bananas. I you know, I just love uncovering people's stories. And when you get to tell your story, it's even it's even more inspiring. But you've also caused a little bit of controversy, I see. Jen Serger, the famous I am not Brett Favre's girl. I remember that. I remember that controversy. Why did you go uh looking for her to help her write her story in her? Well, so, in first she was on TV, and for whatever reason, Brent Musburger made a comment, you know, about all these guys want to go to Florida State because of her, and she kind of went viral, but, like, no one knew who she was. It was just, like, the Florida State cowgirl or something. Yeah. And I don't know how I got tipped off or how I found her on Facebook, and we connected, and I said, hey, like, this sounds like an interesting story. Like, what was this like, your five minutes of fame type of thing? And she was so funny and such a great, conversation i was like well you know what you should write it i mean she did such a great job with the story so that that was fun um she still teases me to this day like like i didn't want to write it, so I she don't write it. but so that's how that happened and then obviously you know when people began to read her and see her on television she got a job with the new york jets and that's how everything happened when uh, brett Favre was with the uh, jets yeah it's, you know, I, I, let me, I mean, since that time has gone, it's, when you look at that story, what did you think? I mean, cause she said, I remember even re watching uh, the interviews that she didn't know him and everyone has some sort of opinion. What do you, what did you think of that? What just as a person, oh, with the, in, do you believe it? Oh, I mean, I, I just thought it was like an unfortunate situation for her. Cause I, I knew that that's not something that she wanted to have out there. Yeah. That's been being the organization they were and where we've seen what's happened to them since. So it's, you know, it's not a, uh, uh, yeah, it's yeah. not a good place. And so I, I just felt bad for her because she's a good person and she's probably, I mean, I know she didn't want that to be out there. She does not want to be defined by that. And so, um, and I, and I kind of felt bad for everything that she had to go through during that time, but you know, you know, like, as you know, you know, being a female in the sports world is not like a simple thing. And so you don't yeah. need anyone making it harder for you. And so I, I definitely think that made it harder for her. And I still think to, to this day that she deals with a lot of stuff that unfortunately she should not have to. Absolutely. It's I I, I understand. I mean, it's it's, a, it's an unfortunate thing. And people will always have some kind of opinion about that. Yeah. Now, Arash, let's take it back 2005, the day you found out that you had cancer once again. What happened? Were you at home? Were you at work? How did you know? Were you sweating profusely again? What? And just did you know again? How did you know? Yeah. So I, you know, it was the same symptoms. So I uh, figured, but I really didn't want it to be true. I was hoping maybe it was something else. You know, I mean, you, you just, I mean, to because here's the thing when you're like four years removed like you should be okay and so that's why that why that's what made that one sort of unique and unfortunate is that it's like holy 
shit, like I shouldn't have this again. Like I'm in New York, I'm working at Sports Illustrated, I'm getting these great opportunities, like I'm living my dream, like don't let this happen again because I, I didn't want to go through it alone. So if I did have it, I wasn't going to stay in New York for treatment. I was going to come back and move back to Los Angeles. And so is that what you when did? They did the, yeah. So when they did the test and they found out that that's what it was, and it, so you can't treat it the same way. So you have to go through a stem cell transplant. And so, you know, the chemo is a lot harsher where you, it's not like you go in at nine and you go home at five. It's like you're in for a few days. So yeah. you check into a hospital. And then for the stem cell transplant, you're there for a month. That's why, to be honest, I mean, this is going to last a lot longer. But for that treatment, for example, like I was in the hospital for one month, I couldn't leave. And then when I got released, I was at home for one month. So at least during the first two months of this quarantine period, like I'm not going as crazy as some other people because I've kind of been through this before Mm -hmm. and this is not as bad. So but yeah, that, that was just one of those moments where I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I, I, I've, I got past that. It was, a, it was a tough moment in my life and that I recovered and now I have to do this all over again. And then you just have that feeling of anytime you're sick or anytime you have sweats or anytime you have a chest pain or anytime anything happens, like you think it's going it, it's, to, it's back. And so, yeah, like... I don't know how to say it. Like the first time I was diagnosed and I got past it, it was like that, that sucked. But like, I was like able to move on with my life in a certain way. The second time, like I've never been the same since in the sense that like, I just know it can always come back. And so like, I lead my life in a different way where I appreciate it, uh, things a lot more. And yeah. So yeah. How it took you what, two months to recover from that or. From your second kind of yeah so when you begin the treatment it, it, it you know it, it it takes longer but like the hardest part's about two months i didn't know that since now you got re-diagnosed i didn't know that you can't you had to do a different type of treatment yeah because they couldn't i mean so it it worked to a certain degree but it didn't totally cure it and this is the type of cancer that thankfully that they can cure and so they were like, okay, so it it worked, but not totally. So we got to get more uh, aggressive. Yeah. So you know, it's so it's a a very aggressive form of chemo that totally you have to stay in the hospital for it. And then when you do a stem cell transplant, then you're obviously in the hospital for a month. And then when you get released and go home, you're basically at home for a month. And so it's it's definitely more aggressive. But yeah, it was, but. It, you know, going through that at 21 and 25 is also like unique because like those are the t- and both times it was during the summer. So those are times in your life when you're 21, 25 in the summer in Los Angeles or in New York. And you're like, you're out partying. Yeah. Have, yeah. yeah you want to have a good time. And it's like, it's really, it's really tough. But thankfully, everything worked out. In that month in the hospital, you wrote down everything that you wanted to do once you got out all the games you wanted to cover, all the, yeah. yeah. Were you able to accomplish that list? Yeah, for the most part. And I even tell people now during this whole time, I said, we don't have a timeline. I I, I was lucky in the sense that I had, did have a timeline. Like they were like, this is when your treatment is going to start. This is when it's going to be done. This is how long you're going to be home. And this is like, if everything goes as planned, you should be out of here by, let's just say September. We don't have that now, but I, I I did think it was important to write out goals and things I want to do. And so I always tell people now, I'm like, 
write out what you want to do right now, A, while you have this time period, which is so unique in like the world and in our life. Like, like even if I were to tell you, you have a month off, like the world's not going to stop. Well, the world is effectively stopped. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of do whatever you want to do right now, whether that's writing a book, reading a book, starting a podcast, do, doing whatever you want. And like the world's effectively stopped. Like you can't do anything. So like you and you will hopefully knock on wood never have this time again. So be as productive as you possibly can during this time. Because again, I could give you a month off or two weeks off. The world's not going to stop. The world has stopped. Yeah. So it's weird because, you know, cancer puts life everything just into perspective for you. And for us right now, this pandemic who are actually really taking it seriously and taking full advantage of all the opportunities that we've missed because we're so busy in our lives. It's pretty much the same outlook. It's you look at things differently. And when you, when yeah. you, for you, in your case, when you watch sports, do you, do you see it differently? Do you, the story that you're writing that you're initially looking for is it different now from them before? A little bit, you know, because it's like, I like to write about human interest stories a lot more. Yes. I like to tell stories that I think people will like, even if they're not sports fans. I like to write about stories of people like overcoming things and not just cancer, right? But like adversity. And so it's a uh, real fight. <laughs> yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And so it, it really has really shaped how I view life, which I think is another good thing. It's like, I never take life for granted and you've known me for a while now. It's like, I, it's why I'm always pretty positive yeah. and happy because it's like, there are a lot worse things, you know I mean? If I don't get an assignment or I don't get a certain job or whatever, it's like, it's like, at least I'm healthy. And, and, and if I have my health and mm -hmm. that's all that I really care about. Yeah, because every time I see you, you have this infectious smile. You're always so happy. You have that giggle. I it's you have this heart of gold. And every time you just are you're a happy guy. You're a fun guy to be around. And that's what I that's I that's why people gravitate towards you. I mean, I see a lot of beautiful women gravitating towards you. I see your Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, he's always out with all these lovely ladies. <laughs> but so from then Wow, you, you okay? So we're gonna go back because your your story is so different because it went it goes from career to cancer, then yeah. career and then cancer and then back to your career. You also caused yeah. some more controversy, and I remember this. I wasn't even I wasn't even in news yet or any of this. First of all, you wrote about Andrew Bynum rehabbing his right knee when he was rehabbing his right knee. You wrote a story that he was carrying a Playboy playmate on his shoulders. How did you know that he was at the party? Were you at that party too? I was at the Oh, you party. were at the Playboy yeah, Mansion, yeah. huh? Yeah. <laughs> what were you doing there? <laughs> Having a good time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you have a play did you have a bunny on your shoulders? No, too? <laughs> I wish I did. No, but I was at the Playboy Mansion and the Lakers were playing that night. And I obviously, yeah, I was saying grew up as a Laker fan, but I also was covering the team at that time and like Andrew Bynum had a knee injury and was not playing he was hurt mm -hmm. but he was at the Playboy Mansion in a smoking jacket carrying a playmate on his shoulder <laughs> I'm like was he on crutches at least <laughs> no no it looked like he was at least okay enough to have her on his uh, shoulder and so 
I wrote about that and I had a photographer with me and I'm like, hey, take a couple pictures of this. Right here. <laughs> it's not salacious or anything. <laughs> no, I mean, listen, he posed for the picture. I think he's smiling in the picture. So it was definitely it made some news. And so I often find myself in situations that other reporters are not at because like, you know, they're not at the Playboy. I obviously him, so. I'm like, weren't you supposed to be yeah. at the Laker game then? <laughs> No, I know, right? I'm like, listen, I'm gonna skip that game and go to the place my mansion. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, did you see? I mean, since you are a reporter and you usually have to address that you are a reporter when you are in situations like that because they might think that you're recording something. I mean, where people just like, oh, oh, you're a, you're a sports writer, okay, and they'll just start spilling stories to you or no. Not really. I, I, yeah, no. I mean, like anytime you're doing a story, you you um, introduce yourself. I think in that situation, it wasn't even so much a story as it was like, here's a, a matter of fact situation, which is like, yeah, it wasn't a long story. It was mainly like the, the picture told the story. <laughs> that was basically it. And it was I, like, like I said hi to him. Back then. But yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. But you did gain um some some shit about this because I remember this. The LeBron James at Tau. That's and, right. Whoa. I mean, I remember hearing this and I didn't know it was you, but ah. I, I went right when they said, Oh, there was a nightclub with naked girls in a tub. I'm like, Oh, that's Tau. Like, that's right. It's, it's harmless. But were you there covering a story? Did he know who you were? What was that you didn't get punished, but they never, it never went, it was published, but then it was. Taken down. Taken down. So, yeah, it's like a mistake to do like at any point in time because like then it just looks looks bad. It looks bad. And that yeah. actually ended up being like a, a bigger story because LeBron didn't do anything bad at Tau. I mean, like I described what Tau is, and maybe if you've never gone to a, a club before, you think that that sounds crazy. But yeah. like Tau is that is what Tau is. Like he didn't drink while we were out. He didn't do anything crazy while we were out. So he had uh, just to set the scene. He had just signed with the Miami Heat. And, uh, you know, Vegas would do a lot of these things from time to time. And I still think that they would, they still do. So Tao paid him six figures to basically have three separate parties. He had a party at Lavo, Mm -hmm. Tao, and then Tao Beach, which they they all all run. And so, like, they even had, like, the billboards. I remember driving around the Strip and they had two billboards where you could basically buy a table for this party. So. You know what, what? Which is why, at the end of the day, when I explained it to people, why this wasn't as salacious as it seemed, but it it made it seem like, how did you get invited? Like, this was a public <laughs> party. Yeah, like I'm like he got he got paid to throw this party, and they were selling tables next to his table, and so and that was another situation where like they had a photographer with me, and so like there's a, there's pictures of this party. It wasn't like I'm like there by myself, and he knew who I was, and so. Again, I think, you know, maybe the story wasn't what they liked or thought it would be or they didn't agree with the story or whatever. Why it got taken down, I still will never know, which it doesn't matter because if you Google it, like it's still going to come up. So that's why it's a mistake. Like even whether it's 2010 or 2020, like don't like if you post something, just if if it's wrong, you can put like a note. but you you can't take it down because yeah. then that just looks worse. But anyway, yeah. But that was a that was such a a struggle because it was like they they couldn't suspend me or do anything. So I didn't do anything wrong. 
But shoot, if they didn't like make life hard for me for the next however many months, like I got, you know, like all the cool like things like I had planned to do, like I couldn't do anymore. It just took me so long to kind of, you know, they just want to put me like in a corner so they couldn't do anything. But then at the same time, like they could control what like stories I got to do. And so for... I don't know how long it was. It wasn't like a whole year, but it was almost a year where it was basically like, yeah, you're covering this college uh, football practice and you're, you know, not even the game. (laughs) Yeah, because they had given me this blog called like behind the velvet robe, which was kind of like a fun thing. I was like, you know, this is uh, something that I would like to do. Like, I I think I can go out and kind of cover different like events and stuff. And again, to what we talked about before, cover things beyond the game, cover things beyond the practice, actually like, you know, talk to people at like events and parties and whatever. And so we get to like, they, they say, that sounds great. They give me this blog. And then as soon as like I do my job and I do it pretty well, I think it's like, Oh, look, this is getting too much attention or, you know, LeBron doesn't like this uh, story. So it was unfortunate, but I got past it and, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, obviously you've done well. And then the other one that went completely viral, you and how I know when I actually now watch the video, you were the one, the famous cameraman behind Kate, Upti- Kate Upton's <laughs> d- doing the Dougie. That's I know right. that laugh. Yeah. So yeah, the laugh always gives it away. Like anyone who watches it again knows me. So, you know, one of the things I did when I worked at um, SI, I worked on the SI swimsuit issue. And that was like a fun assignment. So my last year there, I got to meet Kate, Kate Upton and Chrissy Teigen. And they're all so great. They're just fantastic people. And so I think Kate and Damaris Lewis were both in Los Angeles, uh, and then whether they wanted to go to the Clippers game or whether I suggested it, it was like the Clippers Thunder game. And mm-hmm. we ended up going and then Kate's like, oh, I learned how to do this dance. And she told me what the dance was. And I'm like, well, if they played the song or, you know, whatever. And so they the song comes on, thank God. And so she does the dance and I record it, which was so much, <laughs> you know, but I put it on whatever it, it was at the time. It was like TwitVid or something, which doesn't even like, like, like exist anymore. And so, you know, so someone had told me, like, if you had posted that on YouTube, uh, you know, you would have made some money. But I'm like, at the end of the day, it's not me dancing. It's it's her dancing. But it was funny, like, whatever platform I posted it on, like, was gone within a month. But all these other people on YouTube got all these, like, millions of views off of it. So, wow. Good for them. You're welcome, people out there. <laughs> You're like, because of me. Yeah, right. Because of me. But I, uh, I, Bernie Barmasol sent me the one of the tweets uh, that he had about you, and he's like, he's famous. Look at this, and it was, I think, Kate's husband. I don't know if it was fiance at the time. Oh, yeah. but yeah, he he. She introduced him, or excuse me, she introduced you to him. She's like, he's the one that filmed me doing the Dougie. <laughs> right. <That laughs> I'm was, like, what a great right introduction! Right after they won the World Series, and I'm sure he yeah, to, like, celebrate and like take her away from whatever guy she saw could do and he's like wait a minute she's like wait i want you to introduce you to him and apparently that's how he first saw kate is like doing that dance oh it's because of you see well apparently so but yeah they got married that like next week or something oh see you're you're a little cupid and you matchmaker here yeah yes you are there you go add that to your list (laughs) add that to your resume 
I'm going to ask you before we get into the next topic out of all your interviews, who, who did you enjoy the most out of all of them? Who's, who's really touched your life the most? Well, I mean, I think I would have said this before, but I think in hindsight, like Kobe was always a really um, interesting person to talk to, I think during the course of his career, because there, there, there was like two different, well, maybe even three different time periods of at the beginning of his career where he was sort of know-it-all and young but hotshot and you know maybe not as great to talk to and then the second half of his career where he was just so great to talk to where he like realized his place in history and he didn't have to prove it and then in retirement which is like at the last time that I talked to him which was just like this father and husband and guy who just wanted to do so much for youth sports so Getting the, he's one of the few athletes that I've covered basically throughout his entire career and through my mm-hmm. entire adult life, which kind of makes it unique, you know? So, you know, he, he gets into the league in 96 and I'm 16 at the time. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not a professional, but at that point, I definitely knew what I wanted to do. And I was working at like my high school newspaper, trying to get credentialed for things. And so by the time he was 20, I was like 18, 19, and I was actually beginning to cover him. And so that was, you know, again, getting to grow up with someone in terms of getting to cover them as they're young and seeing them grow, uh, that was a really cool thing. Okay. And then out of all your interviews, the one that you you just did not like, (laughs) (laughs) they were just basically an asshole to you that you're doing your job. (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to think of like, I do a good job of like spill the secrets. Yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> spill the tea with me. You know, like, I, I will tell you generally, and I don't know if you feel the same way. Like it's it it doesn't behoove someone to be rude to like a reporter. So like we mm-hmm. usually get the best side of people. But I'm trying to think. I mean, I'm sure there are situations where where it hasn't gone well. I'm trying to think. Has anyone ever said you can't ask me that? Not really. I'm trying to think. You know. But like any bad experiences have been on like on a red carpet, like Dave Navarro or like Gene Simmons or guys like that of it were like extremely rude. But I think they were more dismissive than anything else. And so but I, I have not had a sit down interview with someone where it's like they like got up and left or they said like Peyton Manning one time didn't like a question. I I, th- I think I framed it like this. And I said, oh, like my last question. And it was such a like innocuous questions that I, I don't know why he reacted this way, but this is when the uh, Giants were, were playing the undefeated Patriots, and so his, he, oh, I'm a Pats fan as I wear my Pats I mean, you guys gear. won what six championships? I remember that. Yeah, you guys game. won six championships. Uh-huh. I think you're okay, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm like. Oh, I know. Au revoir, Tom Brady. But then, like, <laughs> um, I said, hey, we had a good chat. And then, like, I'm like, oh, the last question, like, where will you be for the game on Sunday? And he's like, to be, he said something effective, like, your question before that should have been your last question. And I said, so you're not, get, like, well, what does it matter? Like, I'm, like, I'm assuming you're going to be there. Like, what the fuck does it, you know, it was just, just a weird <laughs> way to, like, answer that question. So, oh, my God. But, yeah. Do you, out of all the sports, because since you cover many sports, which is your favorite one to cover? Probably the NBA, because like it's it's probably like my favorite sport. And and in Los Angeles, like as much as we love like the Dodgers, like 
the Lakers and even like right now, if we ever get back to it, like the Lakers Clippers rivalry with those being two of the top three teams. Mm -hmm. I love the NBA. I love college football as well, but there's something about the NBA. Like if the Lakers are winning in Los Angeles and I, 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 I was really hoping for this moment and we probably won't get it at least this year, but like Lakers, in June is such a fun time period. So if we had, if we would have had the Western Conference Finals with the Lakers Clippers, and then if the Lakers would have won, like the Lakers back in the NBA Finals, like this Los Angeles is just such a magical place in June when that team wins. Are you not a Clippers fan? I do like the Clippers, but it's like I've never seen them get to the Conference Finals or the NBA Finals. I don't have a frame of reference, but having been lucky enough to cover five championships with the Lakers that this city, when they win in those parades and when they're in the curtains, it's just a fun experience for the Clippers. I I do hope that they get there. I mean, I think, you know, that, that, that'll be when they finally move the needle because I covered the Clippers when they had Blake Griffin and Chris Paul and Deandre Jordan. and, and, And as good as that team was, they were never one of the top four teams in the league. They were never in the conference finals. They were never in the NBA finals. And it's like, I think in Los Angeles, for you to move the needle, you you do have to get to those big moments. And so whether that's this year or next year, again, this year is just going to be so weird. Like, I don't think we're going to be in a situation to have a normal playoffs. And they may have some kind of version of the playoffs where they all get together in New York or somewhere. But even Mm -hmm. then, it's just not going to be the same thing. I mean, nothing's the same. They're supposed to have the NFL draft. It was supposed to be at the Bellagio. Yeah, the Fountains. And now it's scrapped and now it's separate room. I mean, it's just so (laughs) bananas. I mean, we never thought in this world, I feel like we're living. Do you ever watch that show Black Mirror on, I think it's Netflix or Amazon. Have you ever seen that? Okay. You should take a a couple episodes. You'll be like, yeah, that's what we're living in right now. This it's so, it's just so weird. It's so crazy. I know you also covered WWE. Yes. You cut and boxing. Are you a big uh, bo- uh, wrestling? Yeah, here's fan? the thing. Like, I am not a aggressive guy. I'm not a fighter, but I love combat sports. And I know WWE is a show. It's not real, but I love boxing. I love UFC. I love all those kind of combat sports. And so that's always fun for me. Well, I can't wait to see if Dana White pu- really pulls off this this fight on an island <laughs> gilligan's island i mean <laughs> looks like it's gonna happen one way or another which is crazy i wonder where yeah i know you know i would think maybe richard branson has an island and johnny depp those are the only two celebrities i know yeah. that own an island so i'm assuming i don't know that's that's interesting all right i'm gonna play you all something right. i want to see if you remember this this is gonna intro hold on Is that New York or where, where are we? That was New York yeah. at Jimmy's Corner. Jimmy's Corner. Remember that? Legendary Jimmy's Corner. Yes. And that was the first and last time we actually got to hang out, drink, party, talk boxing. Allie, right. I remember you guys came from Jack Dempsey. She brought a glass of That's her glass right. of wine in the cab. And yeah. And then after that fight, I didn't see you. And you did something so different and so drastic that you decided to go on this weight loss journey and you lost 
over 130 yeah, pounds so far now. Pounds. Am I right? Still, yeah. And I always tell you, you're getting, I'm like, look at you, slim. Uh, you're getting so skinny. Go back to that moment when you're sitting on that plane. Where were you coming from? Were you coming back home from New York? Yeah. I, I, I want to, this was like September or like August of 2018. And I think the last fight I covered before uh-huh. I, I, I decided to do this was that the, like a, like like a Cinco de Mayo fight between Triple G and Canelo. Maybe I'm not a 100 percent sure, but so it's not like I started like the next day. But I, I was like, okay, I got to do something. And then I, I was coming back from Mexico, and I couldn't get the seatbelt to fit. And the, yeah, I think this was like it was September 25th of uh, 2018 when I when I first began and it was one of those things where it was like um oh it was mexican independence day then yeah yeah anyway and then so uh okay but i was just like this is no way to live you know like and again i knew i was big but then it's like when you have to become the guy who can't get the armrest down and then you can't get the seatbelt to fit and you can't shop at a normal store it was just one of those things where like i gotta do something about this and so did you know i i I mean, from the time that did you oh, realize that I mean, you were but, gaining weight? But it's like, OK, it's so hard to start this process because then you're like you you let yourself get up to 329 pounds. And it's like that's a big number. And then you're like, you you almost become reserved to the fact that this is your new normal or this is like your, your life. And so, yeah, you know, to begin that process of changing everything, it was hard, but I'm pretty disciplined if i have like a good support system so like i i went to the gym and i and i sought out people and i'm like okay just write out just how like how do i start this like what is like what do i eat what do i do and it's like i'm not gonna do this all in like one day i get that but like like how do i start so i just thought it was Mm -hmm. helpful that they were like just at the beginning just 1600 calories just don't worry about the the carb and the sugar and that I just like count calories and we'll, we'll get to a place where we'll have to like change that number or, or, or change your diet. But then it was just like, those were like the two numbers that have kind of stuck with me throughout like 1600 calories and then like 60 minutes. And it doesn't have to be on like one machine or whatever, but they were like, just do something like active for 60 minutes, like go for like a jog for 10 minutes and then maybe walk for another 10 minutes and just but do something like active so it was like you know 1600 and six you know you know like however you want to do that 60 and 1600 were like the two numbers like i i kind of always stayed true to and then but then the other thing after that was the consistency of that because i knew you know when i went to this trainer at the gym and he was so nice about it because i said listen my goal is not to need you like a few months from now like i because I, I travel a lot and so I can't. I like that. Have this I like that a situation lot. where I see you Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and I'm doing my own thing. You know, Tuesday, you know, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. It's like, like, like if I'm like on the horse three days a week, and then but then I'm like off of it four. Like this is not going to work. So like, you know, but the, you know the the important thing is like you need to be disciplined for the days that that trainer's not there with you. But then at the same time, like be I'm able to. Mm-hmm be consistent on your own. And so like those weeks where I would get into Vegas, like Monday or Tuesday for fight week, I'm like, I'm basically all by myself this week. And it's up to me. And not only is it up to me, it's like up to me in Vegas, a city where I love to go party and eat. <laughs> right. So that was hard. But um, 
yeah, it was, I've never done anything that consistently in terms of like, you know, like, I'm like, okay, this is day one, this is day two. And so for a hundred days straight, like I really was consistent and now I, I am consistent, but you know, I, I got to a point where I can take a day off here. I could do a cheat meal there, here. Yeah. I mean, I, I like what you did. You became another viral sensation. You, you made yourself accountable on social media and you just write the day and just come walk with me, come do cardio. And people would send snaps of them doing the same thing. So they're making themselves accountable. And I think that's, that's one of the best ways to help you and everyone gets to help. You know, you guys are all a team working that, together. Yeah. Did you ever, re did, did you ever think when you knowing your cancer that it may come back? I could, like I said, I'm not very familiar with non Hodgkin's or Hodgkin's. Did weight ever have to play a factor no, in but possibly you know getting it? That was the only thing that really kind of upset me was that I shouldn't have allowed myself to get up to that weight. You know, like I, I, I when I had cancer in 2001, like I was in pretty good shape and then I got past it. And then in 20, 2005, like I was a little bit happier, but I was still in pretty good shape. When I, when I got back to being myself, like, or once I got a cancer-free diagnosis in 2005, for whatever reason, I just let myself go, you know? And so it was like from 2005 until I made the decision to take care of myself in 2018, that's like 13 years where I was like, and so it was emotional yeah. the day that I was under 200. So because I had, I, so I'll give you an example. So the day that I checked into the hospital for one month during my uh, stem cell transplant treatment, when I checked in, I was like mm -hmm. 190 or something. When I checked out, I was like 205, okay. 208 or whatever. It's like, I, I just, cause like you're, you're, you're not doing anything active. You're just like eating. And my doctor yeah. at that point, and let's just say like I'm 205 was like, Hey, you know, you, you have bigger things to worry about right now, but I just want you to know, like, we got to get that number back down. And it never went back down. Like, and it was September of 2019. So it was like one year almost to the day, I want to say. What are you? I haven't weighed right myself now? in a while. And I, I, and I kind of do that almost. Do your jeans still yeah. fit? Did you do the jeans? Well, you can't because you're, you're, you're really keeping up with your fitness. You're on yeah, day 397. Am I right? Great. Okay, because I know people who are doing the genes test, they either fit or don't I fit. I fit mine. So <laughs> there is one gentleman, Arnold oh, Schwarzenegger. Yeah. You are interviewing him for Terminator 4. OMG, Arash, when he is congratulating you on your weight loss and he <laughs> says, I'm going to feature you in muscle and fitness. I mean, what did you think? <laughs> I mean, you have the Terminator so talking I to you. <laughs> So my 10 minutes sit down, the first 10 minutes was him talking about me. And then I got like my 10 minutes afterwards. <laughs> yeah. I mean, th that's amazing. Yeah. And it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. So, he said, listen, like I'm going to make some calls. And so he got me into muscle and fitness, which is still kind of surreal. That was crazy. I know, right? Yeah, I, I've told you this. I go, I think your next step is... You're going to start doing a bodybuilding contest. Oh, I'm going to help you. Arash, let's do it. Let's go. And then we're, your goal is to oh, do the Arnold Classic. <laughs> oh, my nice. God. <laughs> we're going to, I'm going to, you're going to be showing off them guns. You're like 
it's that way and you're pointing yes, your biceps watch let's make that let's make that a goal we're gonna do that you just put it out in the universe okay see the reason why i play that song it's weird because i i've sent that that video to you so many times and i put arash markazi <laughs> american idol audition but when i didn't realize the song is a michael jackson song it's man in the mirror take a good look at yourself and make that change isn't that that? isn't that crazy right and i'm i'm like oh this is you know things happen for a reason there's a reason why you're being interviewed after bob number two it's my birthday day two is one of my favorite numbers so the the weight loss and i know one of the people in sports a big figure was a big figure in sports kobe bryant when he came off the when he came off the court, he came over to, and congratulated you. Were you about your weight loss? A lot of people have, but yeah. were you shocked that surprise or even surprised? I saw that picture. It's so it's so tender. It's like you hugging him and to, yeah. Just so talk was, about that uh, moment. The first there. year that like LeBron was with the team and Rob Palenka was the uh, GM and Kobe had gone to a game and he was walking off the court and he was going back to his car and he saw me like it's not like i went up to him because there was like a big crowd around him but like he saw me and he's like oh my god like you look amazing and at that point i I was one month into my journey so this was like october 25th so like i I had lost 30 or 40 pounds in that first month just because like you know at the beginning it 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 comes up pretty quickly and so he was uh yeah he was like oh oh my you know because he had seen me at my um heaviest and so and he he just stopped it wasn't like a in passing uh comment he stopped there was like a circle of like camera people like like around us and so like i knew people were taking pictures i was kind of like appreciative like oh i hopefully people (laughs) got a a picture of this moment because i think it's kind of cool but he was asking me like what i did and how i was doing and you know to keep it up and da and he gave me like this hug after and i just like you know it was really cool that for whatever reason, like he, he felt proud that I was beginning this journey because I think anytime you see someone who's that heavy and again, he had, he had seen me mm-hmm. prior to me gaining that weight. And so he saw me when I was like, like less than 200. And so then to see me at 329, it's like, you know, it's not maybe his place to say anything, yeah. but then when you, you see someone make that decision to lose weight, it was really cool. And so, you know, the last time I saw him, which was before the first game of the season, you know, which is, I, I, I kind of got into the weight that I've sort of kept now. And he's like, this is such an incredible story. Like you got to tell this story, which is something I, I still want to do at some point is I want to write about it or, you know, but you should, you're by, you're, you have a great story. Why do you think I'm interviewing <laughs> yeah. you? <laughs> Your story is, is very impactful. And someone, anyone that's going to listen to this, it's, someone's going to listen, someone needs to hear it or someone out there doesn't think that they're, they know, um, they know what they're going through, but you've gone through it. And it's just to hear that, oh, he's a two-time cancer survivor. Oh, he's lost that much weight. Oh, and he's, your parents were immigrants from Iran. Like, you know, there's, and you, you didn't become that basketball player. Yes. Short guys (laughs) still can get, you know, they, you know, things, great things can happen to them, but those are the stories. And, you know, with Kobe, yeah, the interview that you did with him back in October, I saw the, I, I read it and I saw the video, the YouTube version. And I think that's the best decision oh. probably I would say in your career for you to drive yeah. to Costa Mesa 
and do that interview in person. Uh, talk about that moment and what made you go to Costa Mesa? Because that's a, you know, like you said, it's a two hour drive back. Yeah, you know what? Hours. It was, you know, he only had 20 minutes, but it was like one of those things like I, I didn't know when I was going to see him again, not because I didn't think I was going to see him again. But I was like, you know, he's retired. He's busy with his company, his Mamba Academy. Uh, and a part of him, I was like, shoot, you know, like I've lost like 130 pounds. And so it's like and he saw me like at the beginning of this journey. Like, it'd be cool just to kind of like catch up for like a little bit. and. You know, oh, so you reached out to him for just well, so to the catch first up. Game of the okay. season was the Lakers Clippers, so I wanted to talk to him about you know what he thought about the Lakers and the Clippers and the NBA in Los Angeles and just everything that was happening. And so he had twenty minutes, and so he's like, you know, you we could either do it over the phone or you could drive here. And I'm like, mm, I'll just drive there, you know. And it's like I I think just in okay. general, like it's better to be to do it in person, like, because, you know, but it's like, I, yeah. I, I think in that particular moment, but then the other like interesting thing is like, I, I told the person who was sitting on, who is sitting in on our conversation. I said, Hey, we, when it makes sense. And if you have a minute, if you could take a couple pictures of us talking, you know, just because I had never, yeah, I had no pictures with Kobe. Like, so I, I, someone did take that picture of him talking uh, to me when I had begun to lose weight, but I was like, you know what? this would be something cool to have. And then at the end of it, because I think he saw the person taking pictures and it was for me, it was like, hey, like, let's take a picture together. And so, and I didn't never posted that one just because like, just generally speaking, like you're not supposed to take pictures like that in uh, what what we do. But then when yeah. he, you know, when he passed and I was like, and I was trying to find like the right words to describe, you know, like the, the significance of, of what he meant in terms of my career and having really covered him from the moment he came to Los Angeles until, you know, his last month, really. So yeah, it was tough, but mm -hmm. it was like, I, I was really glad that I had that. I was really glad that someone was able to capture that moment. And then I recorded the interview and I was able to kind of, and again, I, I, I don't normally would never have posted that, but I thought it was important for the fans and his fans to hear that because we talked about G and how he yeah. wanted to be remembered and things like that. I mean, you were on the flight going to Miami for the for Super Bowl and the like. There were so many things going on, and it's crazy that within the flight period, when you land. You're hearing all these stories. You don't know, you know, it's like we hear, I was in LA. We didn't know if it was true. I mean, it was, it was just, oh, I'm getting the chills just even thinking about it right now. It just, it's, it's so tragic that when you thought, when you heard that, when you read it, just, well, did you believe it? Did you have yeah, to, so did I you try to get it confirmed? Because like I had a um, early morning flight from Los Angeles to Miami for the Super Bowl. And, I actually stayed at my parents' house in Calabasas the night before because if I'm gone for a week, I want them to have like my car and for them to be able to use it and whatever. And so when my dad was driving me, the fog or whatever in Calabasas was so bad, I actually remember telling him, like, like, can you see? Like, are you okay to drive? And he's like, Yeah, I'll just put the high beams on. And so and then so I fell wow. asleep on the flight. I was just pretty tired. And so when I woke up, we landed in Miami. And I normally don't get to do like, you know, kind of sleep the whole way type of thing, but I, I kind of did. And, and I wake up and it's like, get that all those texts. So I was like wondering what was happening. Cause like the first couple of texts I saw was like, 
Kobe question mark. Like, is this true? Tell me this isn't true. And I'm like, like what, like what is, I, I really didn't know what was happening. And then I, I read and it didn't seem real. And then when I read like, you know, helicopter crash, Kobe Calabas, I kept thinking like, like this has to be like, like a dream. Right. Cause it's like, you know, I, I, I was just with my dad in Calabasas and I just talked to Kobe and I was like this, none of it seemed real. I was, I just remember being in like this like fog, just walking off the plane, just wondering like, is this real life? Like what's happening? And I called the office trying to figure out like, is this confirmed? And it was. And then I was also wondering like, I know I just landed in Miami for the Super Bowl, but like this, who, who cares about this? I mean, can I, 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 I kind of wanted to come back home to be a part of the coverage, but also like, this is like my city and like my city was grieving and it's like, what am I doing in Miami covering yeah. like San Francisco, Kansas city Super Bowl? So Bill Plasky, I think was in Miami and he flew back home and they asked me to stay and I stayed, but it was just so surreal. It didn't seem real to be honest, you know, because I, I wasn't in Los Angeles. So like I wasn't able to kind of, I never saw the memorial outside of Staples Center because by the time like I got back that next Monday, like it had already been cleaned up, you know. So there was like parts of oh. it real. Like that first game back, I was like, "This is like like some other like world. This is like an alternate reality." It, I, I don't know. I just did that. Like the, seeing that like image of, uh, and I remember I was like at this like hotel bar i think just because like i didn't want to be like alone in my room and it's like you know lebron wearing kobe's jersey and like crying and i'm like there's yeah. no way he's gone like you know it just you know because like there's even times now where it doesn't seem real but i remember just that night just wondering like this none of this seems real you know and to be honest maybe it would have been too soon for that first game back for for me to, to go to but the memorial i think which was after yeah the all-star weekend and it was pretty much almost like a month after he passed on 224 was i'm glad i got to go to that yeah i was supposed to go but i ended up that was like right after the uh i believe it was the wilder fury fight yeah wilder fury two in vegas and i was so exhausted and i remember my friend invited me but i was like you know what just i can't i i stayed in vegas on monday because i was dead exhausted and I go, you know what? I'm, I mean, I'm a Lakers fan, but I'm not like a die hard. I go, give it to someone that, you know, that they were severely grieving uh, over, you know, the passing and just who lived and died yeah. like purple and gold, you know? So, and he was able to give it, but I watched it and it was, yeah. it was beautiful. I cried like towards everything, but it was, you know, just mm-hmm. even for Vanessa to keep it. To keep, I'm gonna like I want to cry <laughs> just to keep it going like the and she was so eloquent with her words about her daughter yes. and her husband were just it was beautiful it was beautiful Arash I'm, I'm gonna you know I yeah. had to I had to ask you about Kobe because I knew that you had that interview with him and just now even knowing the story before you left for Miami you knew about the fog I mean it's just you always think about all the things that happened that day and now it's like kind of adding up of, yeah, it's just, it's, still, it's just like, crazy. It's like the world that we're living in. Right. Just from that time to what we're going through right now, just such a weird few months, weird year. Hopefully uh, we'll, we'll get past all this and uh, get back to some semblance of 
normalcy. But yeah, I just think it's just been so surreal from like January 26th till today. It's just been, it's just been like a weird time. Yeah, it has. Well, you know, Arash, I'm so happy that you got to share your story because I, when I read about it and when you told me about it, it was interesting and it was, it was sad. It was devastating. It was, there were so many emotions, but hearing it from your own mouth, it's very impactful. It's very inspirational because um, you fought, you fought for your life and you're still fighting for your life by staying in shape and you're inspiring others to do the same. You know, like I said, not just because you were overweight, but you were not once, but twice a cancer survivor. And God forbid, you know, that you are diagnosed again, but now you know, like you're in a healthier position in your life. You're taking care of yourself. And there's, you know, people, people need to, to hear and see your story. Uh, What advice would you give you to your younger self? uh, Younger self, you know, just, just be patient. I think, I mean, I think my persistence and drive has always helped me, but I think that there has been times where I have not been very patient. So just, just know that, you know, good things will come your way if you work hard and you're nice and you treat people the right way. You know, there are certain things like I wish I would have done differently, you know, you know, we touched on it, but like, you know, the second time that I had cancer, I wish I had taken care of myself, but I'm glad I took care of myself now and I'm back to a healthy weight, but just yeah, just 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 to be patient and to work hard and to be nice and to treat others the way that you would like to be treated. When you're not in good shape, it's it's not that you want to be that way, but it's just very difficult to get your mind in a place where you're like, I know I got to work out today and I know I have to eat right. And amazingly, for whatever reason, that that day when I decided to flip that switch and also um, to make myself publicly accountable, I don't think I mentioned that, you know, putting that um, uh, post up on uh, on social media saying I haven't taken care of myself. That changes today and making myself publicly accountable. I never thought I had that in me and I don't know why, but it was just one of those things where I was like, they are. People are afraid. You're afraid to. And once you get past that, you see how many people support you. The support when I posted that was so great. And the support now that I'm about to hit day 400 this week has been so cool. And so the next step now that I have all this time is to write that story finally. And, you know, the advice to all the listeners, to all the people that are suffering with something very similar to what you you had or what you're going through, what um, advice would you give them? Just appreciate like every moment that you have on earth. I think that was that, that was like the biggest takeaway I, I had when I had cancer was just like knowing that there's, you know, certainly like the second time I had it wasn't as, you know, when I when I got it the first time, they were like, listen, this is a very curable form of cancer. Like you're 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 young, you should be fine. And so then like the second time was almost more of like a 50 50 because they're they're like well it it came back and we can't just treat it the same way we have to do this other treatment and so it was just one of those things where it's like i I, at that moment that that really changed my perspective on life and knew that i had to appreciate like every day so i think every day that i wake up and that i feel good i appreciate life so much more And and i really think everything that we're going through now i think people hopefully will take this moment to appreciate the simple things the little things in life like when we go back to vegas for like a fight weekend 
Like, I'm not going to take that for granted. Just like seeing these pictures of Vegas, by the way, with like, yeah, all the hotel and casinos are shut down and the strip is shut down. Like, I'm not going to take mm-hmm. that for granted when it does open up and we do get to go back for a fight. Like, like that's going to mean something to me. Were you afraid yeah, of death? Yeah, for sure. Yes. Okay. But then it was like more like, I felt bad for like my family and like my parents, you know, cause it was, it was a very helpless feeling for them as well. Cause they can't do anything, you know? And yeah. it's like, you just got to pray and hope that the treatment works. And it's one of those things where I'm like, well, shoot, you know, yeah. Like I'm 21 and 25. Like I want to have like a long life but at the same time. Like I don't want to have that, but you know, I, I don't want to, put my parents in that position because I can't imagine what that would have been like. So I, 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 for whatever reason, I was thinking more about them. Yeah. Wow. Well, Arash, I'm so happy that you are healthy. You're here. You're talking with me about your story. And I'm going to close out this interview. One word that describes... Oh, man. One <laughs> I'm getting very over Barbara um, Walters on you right now. <laughs> um, consistent. I'm I'm a pretty consistent guy. And I know that's not like a sexy word or anything, but like, I'm never, I'm not like a wild card. <laughs> I think anytime you see me, it'll be the same personality, the same smile on my face. You, you don't ever have to wonder, like, you know, if I say I'm going to be somewhere, like I'm going to be somewhere. So, and that the fact that I, I've been able to transfer that consistency over to like this work ethic in terms of like working out, like that's been, I didn't know I had that in me. And the fact that I have that in me and I get messages from people like trying to give them advice. Like I never thought when I was 329 pounds, I'd be giving people weight loss and nutrition advice. So that's been cool. So consistency, consistency, like that's the biggest key for me. I'm telling you, we're going to get you ready to do a show. You're going to do the Arnold Classic. <laughs> You're going to reach out to Arnold, say, this is my new goal. What you look like years ago, well, still now, that. <laughs> you're gonna, that's what he's, that's what you're going to look like. Did you meet Lulu when you went to, when, I don't know if you interviewed him at his house. Did you meet no, him? No, but his, uh, been Lama, we've Lulu become social and... <laughs> media friends since then. And now I, I get to follow all his interesting uh, llamas and uh, dogs and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, um, my one word that I describe you, Arash. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. You are a fighter. 